0: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Watford and Bournemouth to my Aston Villa. It's Justin Peach.
1: Good afternoon.
0: How are you, Justin?
1: Um, I'm good. I'm absolutely knackered from a long walk in the Peak District. But other than that, you know, football's keeping me on my toes. Mm. Playoffs are in full swing. I'm, I'm in a good place.
0: Are you enjoying the football not coming as thick and fast as it was? Because it seemed like we had a game pretty much every day <laughs> a couple of weeks ago.
1: Having a Saturday off was nice, I won't lie. But then I was excited for the playoffs to come back around, so yeah,
0: contradicting contradicted cu- myself already. You'll be cursing it in a couple of weeks, Justin, when there's no exactly. football and we've got... A month to try and figure out what we're going to do with our saturday afternoons but here we are we are at the playoff semis we have had the first leg already and then we're also going to have the uh, second leg of the semi-finals in a couple of days so you can have, look forward to that a bit of admin first ladies and gentlemen our next new episode will be on friday where we'll be doing a brief review i think we can call it a brief review of the semi-finals as a whole and then we'll look ahead to the final as well which is only on tuesday next week which is Crazy because usually I think you've mentioned it before. The playoffs, we usually have the semi-finals, and then there's a big old gap to the actual like final, a, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, it's
1: about twelve or thirteen days between them normally.
0: Yeah, not in this case. We're going thick and fast. It's going hard, and then finally on Sunday, I'm right I'm so excited for this. I've been waiting for this all season, Justin. Boy oh boy, we have the second tier awards where we'll be doing team of the season, player of the season, manager of the season. All of the season awards (laughs) will be having them on Sunday. So you have that to look forward to, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you don't miss that. But first off, before we get into all that, let's talk about the first legs of the semi-finals of the playoffs. It's been interesting, to say the very least. Not really gone as we expected, I think. I might be wrong in saying that in one of the legs. Anyway, we'll talk hmm. about the one that happened first, Justin. That was Swansea versus Brentford. What did you make of that game as a whole?
1: I thought it was it was quite a frantic game in in, in periods. You know, there was a lot of blood and thunder at times. It made for a great game. I won't lie. It was it was a fantastic game. It was end to end at times. But I thought Swansea were incredibly efficient. Brentford just not quite at their best or at where they, where they should be um, and that's obviously, that, that made it a bit more difficult for them and there was too many players that were perhaps underperforming, a couple of mistakes but other than that I thought it was a really good game and a, a good uh, advertisement for the playoffs because that's exactly what you need in the playoffs is that, that type of game, you know, controversial decisions, uh, games swinging at the, the, the flick of a switch, it was a great game.
0: Yeah, it was very, as you mentioned, end-to-end. And I thought it was actually quite an even game. Now, the expected goals has it slightly towards Swansea. But I think that's mainly because Brentford's best chances came from where they didn't get the shots off, if that makes sense. So, for example, yeah. the one chance that sticks in my mind is, I think it was Embremo, played across into Ben Rama and Watkins at the back post, and they were inches away from having the easiest goal of their lives, but they just both missed it. And then another chance that sticks in my mind is um, when Watkins was, he was less than six yards out, but he just Mm. couldn't get the ball out from underneath his feet. That was a key moment. And then the one where, uh, Brentford did actually get the shot off was Ben Rama in the first half where he's skied it over and if he managed to get it on target then it would have been very difficult for Freddie Woodman to keep it out but yeah I think you've um, kind of hit nail on the head really it was very open which I was a bit surprised about I didn't expect Swansea to be as open as they were but it made for a great game didn't it
1: No and I think that's perhaps why Brentford struggled a bit they just struggled to get any control in the game the midfield you know Jensen and and De Silva particularly weren't weren't great, and um, that that in itself can affect the the, the front three as well. Um, but as you say, you know I thought Swansea had the better chances. You know they they hit the post. That 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 I don't know if it was just before they hit the post or, or after, but it was that where the ball dropped to Brewster, and all he had to do was just make any contact on it from literally about three yards out, um, and, it, and it would have been a goal. But as I say, I, I honestly thought Swansea were slightly the slightly better team. Um, you know. I think David Rare got man of the match which sort of speaks volumes to be honest
0: Mm, yeah that's right Uh, Andre Ayu's goal superb wasn't it in fact (sighs) all all three of the goals that we've seen over the past couple of days were amazing but Ayu's goal in particular was superb the build up and then the finish exceptional weren't it unbelievable
1: but that's what you get when you pay 60 round a week for a a player (laughs) let's
0: bear that in mind he's definitely one of the highest earners by quite a distance Um, but (laughs) In terms of that, I didn't think um, there were plenty of players. Really, the ones who we usually pick up pick up on who didn't really have great games. Uh, Brewster had a decent chance where he tested Raya with an effort mm-hmm. that I don't think I've ever seen hit that hard before. It looked like he almost took the leather off the <laughs> ball. But uh, apart from that, Ben Rama wasn't really effective, and Bremo not effective either. And then the midfield as a whole just wasn't great for Brentford, were they? And They were kind of dominated by the Swansea midfield.
1: Well, that's what I mean. They struggled to get any control on the game, which is where Brentford, as soon as Brentford start to sniff, you know, not not weakness, but you know where they can get ahead slightly. You know, Brentford take the game, and they and they struggled against Swansea, and that's that's to the testament of Grimes, Gallagher, uh, and Fulton in the midfield for Swansea. I thought they were terrific, and you know the wing backs they certainly help. Um, but another you know a shout out to to Mark Geha as well, who I thought was a, a colossus. There were times where he was overlapping the wing back to to get forward, which was great, and obviously Mulder in goal, not Woodman, Mulder, which surprised me oh, a sorry. bit. Sorry. Yeah. because uh, it took me by surprise. Um, you know, he 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 had a, a steady game as well. Um you'd, you'd argue that one of the, the, the worst players on the not the worst players but worst performing players for we might have been might have been Brewster or 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 Roberts um at right wing back. But collectively a great performance from Swansea.
0: Yeah, I thought Conor Gallagher in particular was really good for mm, Swansea. Yeah. But one of the key moments of the match was Rico Henry's red card, which has now been overturned. What did yeah. you make of that red card? I think I know what your answer is going to be, but. <laughs> I,
1: I thought it was a good tackle. It was a very I good tackle. It was tackle. a great tackle. Um, he's got all of the ball. I think Roberts, who was the recipient of the challenge, there wasn't a lot of contact there. There was a bit of follow through, but. It was a it was a wet a wet evening in Wales, you know, there's gonna be a slick bit of slickness on the pitch. Um I don't think it was a foul, and that, that for me swung the game in Swansea's favour in terms of they just opened a bit more space um for them to exploit and had Rika Henry stay on the pitch, I don't think it'd have ended one nil. Possibly. The build up of the goal came from the right hand side, for example. Um it was a terrible decision and it's one that we're not surprised by. Yeah. Well honestly, why 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 does why does the referee why is he so quick to give the red card? I think in that situation. I
0: think the main reason why he's given the red is because of the reaction from the Swansea players. Because as soon as it happened, they were all gathering rounds like it was a dangerous tackle and when it first happened, and it wasn't until I saw the replay afterwards that I thought, hang on a minute, that was a good tackle. But at the time I thought, Oh, that must have been pretty bad because of the way the Swansea players were reacting, but as i say once you see the replays no. it's pretty clear that it wasn't actually that bad a tackle
1: no you've got a linesman close to the to the action there and a fourth official consult yeah. them before you make a decision especially a decision that can swing a game like that in the, a high profile decision in a, in a high profile game unfortunately i'm not surprised i'm not going to name the referee because people are just going to not <laughs> hound him but Build up an opinion, but this referee makes those sorts of decisions. He makes it about him in these type of games, and that shouldn't be the case. And it's something we've we've spoken about too many times. And unfortunately, that might have swung the game in Swansea's favour. And obviously, you know, there's another leg to go, but still, going in one 0 down is, is is an uphill battle.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that other leg, there's still plenty to play for in this game. Brentford only have, as as we know, that one goal deficit to recover from. How do you see it going after what you've seen in the first leg?
1: You know, Brentford have been a bit lackluster since the defeat to Stoke. Um, they weren't great against Barnsley, and it's and it's just and it's just filtering in a bit into into this game. As I said, they they struggle to get any control. The Swansea midfield did a number on, uh, a number on Brentford, and it's a case of if they if they do it again, then Swansea can see the game out. But saying that, there's there's quality all over the pitch for Brentford. Um, is there a plan B at times? I don't think so. Um, but you know, plan A for them has worked so many times. They need players like Bamramaru and and, and Bueno to be to be in good form to help to help um, help the supply to Watkins. They, they they need those players to be on top form.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there's still plenty to play for. But Brentford need to play a lot better than they have in the last three games now. And you can't forget how poor Brentford have been over. Those games and it's really had an effect on the whole season, hasn't it? But yeah. at the same time, if you know Watkins managed to get on the end of that cross, or he managed to get the ball out from under his feet, or Ben Marma put that chance mm-hmm. away, it's a very different story, isn't it? And then I feel like the confidence would maybe be flowing back in to Brentford, yeah. but it's something we haven't seen as far. But let's go on to the other game. Just in this happened last night. It was Fulham two, Cardiff nil. Uh, we, ex- we thought Cardiff were going to be very defensive and more than happy to let Fulham have the ball and then they'd you know spring the counter-attack. But in the end, it ended up being quite a one-sided game, really, didn't mm-hmm. it? Fulham were much the better side and Cardiff were very disappointing compared to how their form's been recently.
1: Yeah, I think the timing for, for Fulham has been perfect. The form they've been in uh, has been absolutely superb. Um, again no Mitrovic I think they're unbeaten without Mitrovic by the way I know (laughs) he scored 20 odd goals and I've said it Your theory's right
0: Justin Your theory's right Fulham are better without Mitrovic
1: But you know perhaps it does help because players like Josh Honema who scored yesterday Harrison Reid Cabano has stepped up these players they might think oh we need to step up now because we're about our top goal scorer you know someone else has got to do a bit. Um and these players have been absolutely fantastic since the restart, since since Mitrovic has been out. So perhaps it it does help, but as I say, you know, Fulham were ruthlessly efficient all over the pitch. Um and yeah, you know, they they've got players in form at the right time which is as I say, it's really good timing.
0: Yeah. They they were very comfortable. The only real bright spell Cardiff had was right at the start of the game which was before the first drinks break and then after that I don't really remember them really testing Mount um, Rodak in the Fulham goal at all, really. Mm-hmm. Lee Tomlin had a good chance early on and then that was about it. Fulham were very solid defensively, which is not something we've managed to say plenty <laughs> of times this season with them, but Michael Hector is a superb player and I thought he was really, really good yeah. for Fulham. Uh, but going forwards, as you mentioned, the midfield were completely dominant in this game. Uh, Reed. Anoma uh, Kearney superb and got to mention the goals again Justin Anoma's goal in particular was outstanding wasn't it? No it
1: was brilliant but he, he's got that quality loan spells for him haven't worked out in the past but he seems to have found a bit of a place at, at Fulham and it's working out for him again especially since the restart he's, he's really stepped up and he's he's been the player we've all well anyone who's signed him on Football Manager has expected him to be and um, and the same with Cabano, really. The, the guy didn't have any goals before. He hadn't scored for three years before the, you know, a couple yeah. of games ago. And he's, he's whacked in, what, three free kicks in a row? Something no. like that. Yeah, one yeah. under the wall, two over the wall.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, actually. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's really stepped up. All these players seem to have stepped up. I didn't think Bobby Reed up front was great. Um, whether Mitrovic comes in in the second leg, I'm not too sure. But uh, we'll no, have to wait and see. <clears throat> Well, what, what, what's that? What's actually happened to Mitrovic? This has passed me by.
1: I think he picked up an injury. I have watched the pre-match uh, build-up, and he just—he just it he just, he might have been an ankle injury. We're not too sure, but it's just um, a small injury. Um, mm. But then again, that's that's one thing Fulham do lack is um, an available backup striker. Abubakar Kamara filled in pretty well earlier on in the season, but Bobby Reid, for me, I don't quite fancy him as a central forward more than a—he's yeah. more of a winger or a. Second striker, as it meant. Yeah,
0: he was fairly anonymous, actually, in this whole game, but it didn't stop Fulham winning in the end. What what did you make of Cabano's free kick, actually? I just wanted to ask you about this. Because it was... I mean, he, he couldn't have done much more. It was a brilliantly taken free kick. But I thought Alex Smithy's... I thought his positioning for the free kick was a bit off. It seemed like, um, even though yeah. Cabano did place it as well as he could have... Smithies didn't really give himself much of a chance by standing way too far to the other side of the goal and that's yeah. not the first time he's done that this season
1: uh, well I mean I'm not a goalkeeper so I'm not going to sort of pretend <laughs> I know I know what the right position is for a goalkeeper is but you know the only player that jumped in that wall was Sean Morrison for example
0: but that's the other thing the commentators Had, were saying on the yeah. game wasn't it
1: and I thought oh it's a bit of a lazy assessment but then you see the replay and it's like actually no there was, there was two there that could have jumped and it might—they might have got a nick on it. Might have helped it over the bar, or it might have slowed it down for some Smithers to to smother it. Um, but they didn't jump. Only Morrison did, and you know that didn't help. But no, don't, no taking away from Cabano it was a sweetly hit free kick, and I said it right before he, he ran up for it. It's like, yeah, this is gonna be a goal. You can just tell sometimes.
0: Maybe the Cardiff wall was a bit worried that he might do the under the wall trick again, which You're he, he did it once. Oh, well, they, his last, his that last one done.
1: went over the wall.
0: Well, they've seen that he's got form for doing it, so maybe they were just a bit worried about him doing it again. But stick all behind the wall. Well, that's um, the obvious answer, isn't it? But, well, I mean, you take a man away from potentially marking an attacker. But nonetheless, let's not take anything away from Fulham because it was a well-executed uh, win and it leaves Cardiff with not much chance in the second leg, would you say?
1: I mean, we've seen history... Over, overcome history is that right, the right phrase last no. season with no with but Darby. I know what you mean <laughs> yeah they they, they I, d- I don't even know what the saying is but a two goal deficit is is quite a climb but it can be done it can be done There's, there are teams that have proved it in the past um, so I'm not going to rule Cardiff out just yet although because they are more of a defensive side than they are attacking it is quite hard to see them t- overturning a two goal mm. deficit to a team that is in peak form at the moment
0: yeah, they were relying on definitely getting something from this game, when they? are mm-hmm. not the most free-scoring side and Fulham have looked fairly sturdy defensively. So yeah. it's going to be very difficult to see Cardiff turn this around. But this is the playoffs. Anything can happen, Justin. Right, that's the end of part one. In part two, we'll look back on the news from the past couple of weeks, including new managers in the Championship, Justin. And of course, the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Don't go away. If you could see us recording, you would notice that Justin and I generally wear a different football shirt almost every week. There's nothing that fuels nostalgia more than an old football shirt. And guess where you can get them? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk.
1: Absolutely. I spent plenty of money there and got myself some cracking purchases. Just recently, I started sporting an AZ Outmar training shirt and a Hoffenheim training jumper. So pretty different.
0: Exactly that, and it's not just football shirts, you can get training wear, footballs, boots and match-worn stuff from former pros. There genuinely is something for everyone, no matter which side you support.
1: So, find what you're looking for at ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester.
0: Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Right, let's get into the news from the past week, Justin, because there has been a lot going on. But we'll start off with some new additions to the Championship, Justin, because Watford and Bournemouth have been relegated from the Premier League. Are they welcome additions to the Championship, Justin?
1: <laughs> what do you mean by welcome? Do you, do you want me to stand by the doors with, the, with my arms wide open? Just Come on, come on, guys. Not hugging,
0: not hugging. You can't be oh, doing that right, yeah, Justin. yeah. yeah. One meter please. But are you welcoming them in?
1: Um, I think so. I'm I'm very intrigued as to, to see how they, they cope because they're you know, we've seen Watford, their recruitment strategy is utterly bizarre. They share players with Granada and Udinese and it's worked in the past and it'd be interesting to see where they go now. Bournemouth, they're gonna have to sell a lot of players because of their wage bill compared to you know, they're a small size, small town side. So they're gonna have to sell a lot of players. Again it'll be interesting to see how they parachute down into the into the championship without without having a massive impact. But they've got some really good young players. They've got Lewis Cook, we forget about Lewis Cook, Dom Solanke. Mm-hmm. There's some good talent. Chris Meppham, uh, Lord Kelly, there's some good players at Bournemouth. So they might they might surprise people in a yeah, way.
0: Yeah, I find these two very interesting because I've basically been spending the whole day racking my brains trying to figure out how they'll do because Well, I've already seen, you know, Premier League fans, and I don't mean like Southampton and Brighton fans, I mean Mm -hmm. like, oh, Manu and Liverpool fans on Twitter, saying, oh, Bournemouth and Watford, they'll go straight back up. That's not how the championship works, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. Now, we've seen with Fulham this season, even though you've got all these big names, like Mitrovic, uh, Kearney in your side, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to bounce straight back up. Mm -hmm. Um, But how do you think... They'll do. As you mentioned, they've they've both got good players, but at the moment, we don't know who's going to be there next season. But I feel like Bournemouth have got more of a foundation than Watford, for example. Because when you talk about the likes of Lewis Cook, as you mentioned, Jack Mm -hmm. Stacey, these are players who I think will be at Bournemouth next season. Now they might lose Mm -hmm. the likes of, well, we know Ryan Fraser's gone. Callum Wilson might be gone as well. Those kind of players... I'm not sure we'll be hanging around. And then with Watford, I've already seen the likes of Delafeu, Ismail Assar. They look like they're going to be heading out the door. We don't know how these squads will look um, at the start of the season, Justin. Yeah. But if you had to take a guess at how their squads will be looking, how do you think they would do?
1: Um, I, I honestly think Bournemouth... Whether Bournemouth come back up or not, depends whether Howe stays. Eddie Howe stays. I'm not Eddie Howe's biggest fan, but I think he's suitable for Bournemouth a bit like Darsh is at Burnley. The way they recruit, um not to give a spoiler alert, but I interviewed someone for the podcast recently who worked high up at Bournemouth um when they were um gunning for promotion last time in the championship. And the way they recruited was um, you know, they, they, they bring people in to fit the dressing room, there's a lot of psychology behind it. Um so I think that will stand him in much better stead. Like it did Burnley a few years ago when they came down under Dach and went back up and they prospered since. I think that'll suit him better. Watford, it's a bit of a oh it's really really hard to pinpoint Watford because mm. because of how they 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 structure themselves, you know. It's they sack managers freely, you know, Yukanovich took them up and he left at the end of the season. They brought um Kike Sanchez-Flores in after that it's really hard to put your it's, finger it's on exactly it's very hard to keep track <laughs> yeah. you, need a, you need a detailed timeline as to who managed him and when but it seems unsustainable they've got a lot of players there who are quite old Troy Deeney um, Ben Foster will probably move on you know there's Craig Dawson Craig Kafka it's a real mishmash squad of top end quality to maybe championship mid, not mid-table championship but you know standard championship player and um, So there's a bit of a gap in skill. I think it'll take them a season or two to readjust and go again. Whereas Bournemouth, I think, are in a much better place.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. But the thing is, um, no matter who the players are, I think you can have all these big names in your squad. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter if you haven't got the right manager in place at the end As as we have... I keep point, I keep going back to them, but as we've seen with Fulham this season, they've had an inexperienced manager in Scott Parker. And despite all these big names and players who we know are good at championship level, yeah. they haven't managed to bounce back straight away and have had to settle for the playoffs. But It's,
1: it's taken with, Fulham 44 games to find themselves, almost. Yeah,
0: you're, in a way, you're probably right. Um, I mean, don't know if Eddie Howe's going to hang around. He seemed very um, sceptical about that in his Uh, post-match presser after the game on Sunday. Uh, Watford don't have a manager at the moment. They've had Hayden Mullins in caretaker charge and they've looked fairly fairly poor under him. Um, So whoever is going to be in charge is going to be key to see if these sides can bounce back. I've seen Chris Houghton linked with the Watford job amongst pretty much every other vacant job in the Championship at the moment.
1: Nigel Pearson was perfect really.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in a way. And It's going to be very interesting to see who they both have in charge in just over a month's time because whoever they do appoint is going to be key to see if they do bounce back. But I imagine, whatever the case, they will both have to try and shed some pounds off the wage bill uh let's talk about managers elsewhere in the championship Justin, because there's a lot going on on that front we'll start off with Middlesbrough who have agreed to keep Neil Warnock on for next season I imagine that's one that you think is the right decision really
1: they need I've said it before they need Neil Warnock um I'd have I'd have argued that going after the Cowleys would have been an ideal but they've said they want they fancy a break um and i think neil warnock's the, the the next best option or the best option they need someone who can manage a transition i think they need that and they need another season to sort of reestablish themselves reestablish an identity and a way of going forward to leave leave the the squad and um philosophy in a in a in a much different place as as it was when pulis left um you know that they're, they're gonna lose a lot of players again this summer um so they they really need that experienced manager to to see them along and I think Neil yeah. Warnock's perfect for that.
0: It's just someone to steady the ship, Exactly. And exactly. I Exactly, not Even though Neil Warnock has got a very good record at championship level, I can't see uh, Fulham, uh, Fulham, Middlesbrough uh, pulling up many trees next well, season. But we
1: said this about Cardiff and they surprise everybody so you never know with Neil Warnock what he can get out of the side.
0: What do you mean we said it about Cardiff?
1: I mean, everyone wrote Cardiff off a couple of seasons ago, didn't we? I mean, we oh, did right, a podcast. So a couple yeah, of seasons yeah. ago, when they went automatic. I thought promotions. you meant this
0: season. I was like, well. "No,
1: I, I had them top, didn't I?" So <laughs> Definitely didn't write right. them off.
0: No, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, it depends on who they bring in, obviously. But I, I think, um, considering the direction the club's going in, they could just mm-hmm. use a season where they just. Kind of consolidate their place in the Championship maybe. Uh, Huddersfield have appointed Leeds coach Carlos Corboran as their new manager. He replaces Danny Cowley who was sacked a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Corboran worked under Bielsa at Leeds. He was very highly thought of at mm-hmm. Leeds as well but he's decided to go over to the other side of Yorkshire. What do you make of this?
1: Um, I mean I, I was originally pretty frustrated that the Carlos had lost their job because I thought Particularly that they they they're the right fit for Um but Carlos Corbrand coming in, I think, fits exactly what the chairman wants to do. Um, they've they've managed to stay in the league. That's what they wanted to do, um, and that's sort of a next phase in their plan is to, you know, return to a model that fits them, and as well as that, you know, a recruitment model that is a bit more like it was a couple of seasons ago when they were under Wagner less. Less so c work, but bringing in players that the head coach can work with rather than the head coach bringing in players.
0: Yeah, so someone working uh, with players that are brought in from abroad seems to be the direction much, they go in, yeah. doesn't it? Whereas Cowley, from how it's reported in the media, is that he wanted to you know, go down the Deitch approach of signing yeah. players from the lower leagues, that kind of thing. Um, it's an interesting one, into Obviously, we, he's not had much in fact any managerial experience before this so it's hard to really uh, say too much about it but uh, the only thing you can really say is that when you look at coaches who have made the step up to the actual top job it's not always been a glittering road has it you talk of um, Pep Clotet this season Mm -hmm. not worked out for him Um, going back a few years Aita Karanka worked out for him initially but then that all went a bit sour didn't it you You can name loads of names, couldn't you, and go on for ages, but at the same time, every manager's got to start off somewhere, haven't they? So it'll be very interesting to see um, how Corboran does. I'm surprised that he has gone for the Huddersfield job, considering the position they're in, and it looks like everything's not exactly going to plan, Um, but best of luck to him. Uh, there are reports Chris Houghton is interested in the Bristol City job and is the leading candidate for the role but the club is said to have spoken to about eight managers in total for the position. But Hutton you mentioned him just a couple of weeks ago you're very much behind that choice but aren't you?
1: Yeah, I mean you speak to Houghton and if he's interested you go for him. I don't I mean I know, I understand that they've got to look elsewhere but if a if a a manager like Chris Hutton is available and is interested in taking the job at your club, then you go, Right, let's work out a contract then. Because for me he's even for a Bournemouth coming down or Watford, if they change managers, anyone in the championship, they will I think he can turn them into promotion contenders and Bristol City needs someone like him to identify exactly what issues there are, what he can get at who we can get the best out of etc because he's done that at every club he's been at
0: mm, 100% he's got a fantastic record at championship level in fact he's one mm-hmm. of the few managers who rivals Neil Warnock really isn't he for yeah having such a good record when it comes to clubs getting clubs promoted from the championship so I, I'm coming around to the idea that it would be a, a very good appointment I thought they might go down the uh, route of getting in a young manager but I'll have nothing against Hewton if they do decide to choose him Uh, Meanwhile at Birmingham, Ita Karanka is thought to be the leading candidate for the role there, what do you make of that?
1: Um, It's a strange one I mean, Ita Karanka he didn't have issues with Steve Gibson but that relationship became quite fractious after a while given how volatile Birmingham City is it would be interesting to see how he can (laughs) handle that and again he had a pretty bad relationship with the Forest Board as well it just depends what happens with the Birmingham City board. Anything that happens with Birmingham City depends on what happens at a high level, because as we've seen before, they've been in good situations. I mean, Harry Redknapp, you spend that much money and then you get sacked three days after a transfer window, after you've just bought in all those players, is is pretty bizarre. Without him being able to work with those new players, just a bit backward the way they work sometimes. And I think Karanka would be a good option. I do think it's a good, it would be a good option for them, but as we, as i said it depends what mood the board's in
0: yeah i think karanka is a very good manager but i can't see karanka and birmingham being a match made in heaven i've got to say in tears yeah i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure he'll be manager come the end of the season if that does happen uh let's move on marcello bielsa has been named the lma manager of the year for the championship justin don't get onto your manager of the year yet we'll talk about that on Sunday Justin hold your horses Uh, the championship season will be starting on the 12th of September that means we'll have the majority of clubs having a month and a half's rest anything you want to say about that 12th of September
1: it's a good date the 12th of September I assume it's a weekend always a weekend I, I
0: imagine so it probably is. Uh, I think the the main thing I was looking for you to give your opinion on would be uh, how the season will work, considering it's starting a month later than usual. I imagine we'll have quite a few extra midweek fixtures than we usually do. I,
1: it'll just keep us busier, I think. Yeah. I'd probably See. get rid of an international break and maybe the the League Cup. Well, I did I say
0: know. this ages ago when we had the whole coronavirus lockdown break, and It doesn't seem like that's going to happen, which just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. It seems like players are going to be even more knackered than they already are. And when you consider you've got Euros the summer afterwards... There's going to be injuries cropping up all over the place. Wednesday and Derby are still waiting to find out whether they will be deducted points for allegedly breaching the EFL's profit and sustainability rules It relates to the sales of their stadiums. Both clubs deny any wrongdoing. Now, a decision is expected before the playoff final next week. Now, both sides <laughs> could be relegated, Justin. Well, that's that's what it's been reported. <laughs> this isn't me talking. Uh, both sides could still be relegated, Justin, although that seems quite unlikely with Derby, considering they're 16 points clear of the bottom three, so it would have to be a very harsh punishment for that to happen. But Wednesday are only eight points clear of the relegation zone, so there's every possibility. What do you think?
1: Uh, it's an incredibly conflicting um, statement. I thought that the points reduction would be for next season.
0: Honestly, well, as a fan, you don't really want that, do you? Because that's no, no, I'd, of... I'd
1: rather I'd rather just take the points off this season. Maybe not as a Wednesday yeah. fan, but you know, as a derby supporter any derby supporter would say, "Yeah, just take them off this season, please. Let's go." Bye. I'm sort it means of thing. The
0: whole of next season's pretty much. A dud, isn't it? Unless they do extremely well, but yeah. it, it would it's, ruin the whole season for fans. For fans, won't it? The, the question I have is: Why has it been left this long? Why is it oh,
1: they've had three had, months no football to get ages, it sorted?
0: Haven't they? Exactly. So, why is it only why are we only getting a decision just before the end of the season? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's, it's, but, the,
1: the, the thing, the thing is, I like, you know, jobs have still been able to function during lockdown over video call so yeah. they the three months with no football where this could have been sorted i know it's a bit more of a headache but yeah. it just highlights again the, the sheer incompetence of the league mm. i'm sorry in fairness, it's, it is right.
0: in fairness they have had to deal with deciding when the season is going to resume but yeah there's, still, there's been a lot still, more to do yes yeah, still i, I think it, it's there's no excuse for it taking this long to be decided. A couple of other bits just in Coventry City. We're we'll playing at St Andrews in Birmingham again next season. They have, though, announced plans for a new stadium, which will be built in five years' time. Uh, quite upsetting, really, isn't it, that Cov are going to have to be playing in Birmingham again. And this all comes down to the long-running disputes that's going on between Coventry City and the rugby club Wasps, who currently own the Rico Arena. Uh, for anyone who hasn't kept up with the latest updates, it's all because talks have been taking place, but apparently Wasps have been insisting on this indemnity clause, which means Coventry would have to pick up losses on behalf of wasps now Cov have said that's the case that a decision that a, a an agreement's not happened but wasps have said that's not the case and it's very much a case of he said she said and it doesn't seem like it's going to be solved anytime soon it's good news that a new stadium is going to be built in five mm-hmm. years time but the five years is a long old time so it seems like cove fans won't be seeing their team playing in Coventry anytime soon, Justin. Uh, finally, speaking of Birmingham, they've decided to retire the number 22 shirt of Jude Bellingham with him set to leave the club for Borussia Dortmund. He's made just 44 appearances for the club. We, we spoke about this in the last episode, Justin, yeah. but it's we've had a couple of days to kind of... Just get it through our heads. It still makes no sense to me whatsoever. Let's get onto some transfer news, shall we? Because there's been a few that have happened over the past couple of weeks. These are just the confirmed deals. As mentioned, the big one is that Jude Bellingham's move to Dortmund is now confirmed. No surprise there. Norwich have been very busy already. They've signed Jacob Sorensen from Denmark and Ballymumba. From Sunderland, Bally Mumba's someone who's been very highly rated for quite mm-hmm. some time now. Uh, another club who I've been busy is Coventry. They've signed Ryan, G- Ryan Giles on loan from Wolves, Marcel Hilsner from SC Paderborn, and Callum O'Hare from Villa. Uh, O'Hare is someone you're a big fan of, isn't it, Justin? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: No, yeah, he's a he's, a, he's, he's a, Justin. I, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a tricky playmaker, and um, he he dominated uh, League One last season. Uh, and again I think he's he's a very smart signing. Um, and Coventry city have made some very smart signings already. Mm, um, they've
0: not messed around, have they? they have no, definitely they've definitely made the going. most of the extra couple of weeks that while well, all the other clubs in the championship yeah. have been playing. They've made the most of the sign of the time that they've had. Uh, goalkeeper Ilan Meslier uh, Ilan Meslier's loan at Leeds has now been made permanent. Ryan Woods has had his loan spell at Millwall extended for next season, which is weird. Because I don't know if this is 100% true, because I tried to confirm it but couldn't find anything on it. But on Twitter, I saw Stoke fans saying that his contract at Stoke is now actually expiring at the end of next season. So, why you'd send someone on loan instead of selling him? But I know. But they'll either way, collect,
1: they'll, they'll collect the loan fee and Millwall might be paying all of his wages. But I thought he might have been able to do a job for Stoke City next season, given that Joe Allen is going to still be laid off um but whatever the case Millwall have got a very very good midfielder on there on their books now
0: yeah yeah he's one of the most underrated midfielders in the championship for my money uh, mo barrow has left reading to go to south korea completely forgot he was at reading yeah and then him, yep. <laughs> and qpr brought in george thomas from leicester he's a midfielder who's best known for his time at coventry all yep. right justin that has been all the transfer news. So let's go on to the Craig Bryson pub quiz. This is the part of the show where I'm gonna give Justin six clues about a championship legend who has made over two hundred appearances in the championship and will have played relatively recently. All Justin's gonna do is guess who that bugger is. So let's get on to the first clue. I've made two hundred and thirty six appearances in the championship, scoring seventeen goals. It's
1: not prolific. Um, not prolific, nice. No. Not prolific, 17, 237 appearances, 17 goals Ooh, It smacks of a, a defensive midfiel- midfielder, Paul Thurwell
0: It's not Paul Thurwell, but nice to have mentioned I made my championship debut with Blackpool in 2007 at the age of 27
1: Wow, uh, 2007, Blackpool, Keith Southern
0: it's not Keith Southern, but nice to have mentioned. I've played for three other clubs at Championship level, including Wolves, QPR and Reading.
1: Wolves, QPR
0: and Reading. What are you thinking so far, Justin? Talk me through your thought process. Wolves,
1: QPR and Reading. And Blackpool. Casper Gorks.
0: It is Casper Gorks. Casper Gorks. <laughs> oh, uh, was it the Reading bit?
1: No, um, it was QPR... Wolves, QPR Reading. Uh, I know he played for QPR and I know he played for Blackpool. Um, The Wolves bit through me. It was was a guess out of, not thin air, but a slightly educated guess.
0: I completely forgot he played for Blackpool and Wolves, but QPR and Reading, I thought maybe I shouldn't have mentioned them because I thought that might be too obvious. But that's very irritating. The rest of the clues, Justin. I have the unique achievement of getting promoted to the Premier League in consecutive seasons in 2011 and 2012. Did you know that? QPR...
1: With Wolves and Keep... No, who?
0: I, I presume it's Keep Your arm Wolves, yeah. Or was it Reading ready Keep Your
1: Reading, Keep Your on Reading.
0: Yeah, probably. Uh, I retired in 2018 and I was named Latvian Player of the Year on two occasions and have 86 caps for my country. Kaspars Skorks, ladies and gentlemen. Big fan of him?
1: I can't really remember him, but he had long hair and...
0: And he was Latvian.
1: Yeah, so, so as a center off, tough It's scored quite a lot of goals, actually. 17 goals.
0: It's all right. Yeah, for for a centre-back, it's not too bad, is it? Right. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. As mentioned at the start of the show, we'll be back again on Friday for a review of the second legs of the semi-finals of the playoffs. And then on Sunday, it's the Second Tier Awards show. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be shocking. But most of all, it's going to be good fun. Isn't it, Justin?
1: Well, when we're talking about it, yes. But then when, you know, supporters and listeners find out that perhaps they're afraid, predictable backlash. Yeah, there will be backlash. <laughs> and it's fine. Please tell us that we're worthless and you hate us and you don't like to listen anymore. But we know you will.
0: Alternatively, you could just tell us who you think would have yeah, won that, as well.
1: That's also good feedback.
0: Maybe we would prefer that feedback to the usual hate comments. But either way, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilkes. I've just Beach.